0: WMQA! Hello and welcome to wmq the official podcast of the WMQ Comics website. I'm your host, Dan Grote. This week our guest is Lonnie Nadler, who's here to talk about his new turn-of-the-century horror series from Vault Comics, Black Stars Above. We talk about how he picked his creative team, the research that went into the book, and the fact that it's his first published comics work as a solo writer, apart from his friend and collaborator, Zach Thompson. We also talk about his and Zach's upcoming Yandu series from Marvel, their work on this year's Age of X-Man event, and press them for some good horror recommendations. But first, we present our final New York Comic-Con mini-interview. It's with Jed McKay, the writer of Marvel's Black Cat and Man Without Fear, and contributor to the recent Alpha Flight True North one-shot. Once again, quick thanks to everyone who let me pelt them with questions at NYCC, and to those who let me exchange business cards with them in hopes of them coming on the show at a later time. Uh, Meanwhile, what is going on over at WMQComics.com? We are starting the week off strong. Uh, Joshua Bermont reviewed last week's scientists making porn book, Money Shot, from Vault. Uh, we've got an editorial up on the disappearance and sudden reemergence last week of Black Mass Studios. Will Nevin has an interview with a teenage Ice Cream Man superfan that is simply charming. And Matt Lazowicz is This Week in Gotham will try to answer the age-old question, is there too much Batman on the racks? Uh, that is all in addition to our regular features like x man of the Week and our top picks for this Wednesday, which are topped off by the final issue of John Allison's Giant Days, I'm not crying, you're crying, uh, and if you're not crying, you're a monster. Uh, but maybe you should be a monster, because it's Halloween. Happy Halloween. Okay, I'll stop now. Uh, on to the interviews, here are me, and Matt, and Lonnie, but first, Jed. All right, it's uh, Friday, New York Comic Con. Uh, first interview of the day, uh, i got Jed McKay here. Jed, how's it going? As going? Great. Bye. Are you? Uh, it's just your day two, or?
1: Uh, that is my day two. It's the first New York Comic Con.
0: Oh, congratulations!
1: Yeah, yeah so it's, uh, it's pretty exciting.
0: Yeah, you've had uh, you've had a busy twenty nineteen. You did uh, Man Without Fear, top of the year. Been doing uh, Black Cat for Marvel. Uh, you know, are you enjoying the work?
1: <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I've been I've uh, been really lucky. I've had a lot of work come my way, and it's it's all stuff that I'm really happy with. Really feel I'm really proud of what's come so, it's been, uh, it's been a great time.
0: Uh, how you been feeling about the response to Black Cat? It's been doing pretty well.
1: Yeah, surprised, really. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I knew what, into it, what I what I wanted to do with Black Cat, and uh, it was a lot of it came out of the same sort of energy that Dogs of the Dragon, mm-hmm. the yeah. digital only series. Yeah. So, again, yeah, we had to travel forward back to yard, and kind of try to keep that same balance and same energy, and... Uh, I hope it I hope it would do well. Uh, but i was really surprised the kind of response. You get a lot of people who are not necessarily interested in the Black Hat book or maybe expected something different from the Black Hat book that were pleasantly surprised, by picking it up uh, and recommending it to their friends. So it's been it's been really great. I'm really happy to see the people mm-hmm.
0: are sort of on the same big black I Uh when uh, you know you guys were in the planning when Marvel's in the planning stages of the series and they told you Okay, we've got J. Scott Campbell doing covers. You know, what, what did you think?
1: I was again surprised. It <laughs> shows that uh, you know, having J. Scott Campbell doing covers, that's uh, it's a real commitment on Marvel's part. so you know, it was great to see them have that confidence in the book before we just started writing it. And, uh, and receive, you see know, put a push on it to you know, get it out there. Because you know it's it's not I a mean, in look, look like cat, but it's just not the of character, I know, it's not your Iron Man or Spider Man. Uh, Captain America, so you see that, that effort put behind it to get that book out and get in front of people, so they'll you know, see it and try something new. I thought it was, it was, it was great to see it, and also, you know, i a little anxious because uh, <laughs> yeah, the, the state's been raised. Yeah, but that was great. Yeah. Absolutely.
0: Uh, what are some of the comics that you remember reading when you first got into the media?
1: Uh, most of the comics I read when I was in camp were comics from the 60s or 70s. My, my dad had a large collection of comics from uh, the stuff. And, um, and that's what I grew up reading. So it's just it's in the 90s when I was a kid. I didn't really read many 90s comics. Okay. I was, because we'd have to buy these. Whereas yeah. we already had these these old comics at home, so mm-hmm. we could just read, re-read them over over again. And that's where you know, some of my real favorites came from. You know, Master Kung Fu, Barry uh, Smith, Conan's, uh, Adam Warlock, uh, all that kind of stuff. Uh, you know, heard of was doing the so a lot of that's what kind of thing, has kind of informed my uh, my comics. Then years later, you expand out, get caught up in stuff, but that's definitely worth both the first basis of comics,
0: especially Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, you just did uh, you had a story in the uh, Alpha Flight one shot. Uh, as a uh, proud Canadian citizen <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, were you an Alpha Flight fan prior to that or
1: yeah uh, Alpha Flight the first time I came across Alpha Flight was in the, the Marvel training cards series one mm-hmm. uh, that was a
0: gateway drug for a lot of people oh yeah <laughs>
1: yeah it was great and it was, I have a set and we had a
0: team class
1: yeah and oftentimes the teams on you know, the there were a lot of characters I've never seen before Mm-hmm. and so alpha fighters who really new. So who are all these people that have like, um, it was a the wind shear was, was on the card, and like Heather uh, had a indicator at that point, I think, when I research. And so it was totally new. They all had this like really unified plug, except for you know, some string, I forget his name, shear. And uh, I turned it over, and read these tapes, and uh, in Canada, we used most of our media coming from the States. Of the mainstream right. media comes in the United States. Mm-hmm. Folks does stuff in the States, and you see there uh, is a Canadian superiority, it would kind of move me away. So later on, I tracked it down, started beating Alpha Flight, and for a long time, I wanted to work about. off. <laughs> and, of course, it's not using water. Well, Alpha Flight right. range, like, 150 submissions. Uh, so, three is probably not something that would ever happen. But then, yeah, last year, I was talking to, uh, to Ed, and stuff. Like, yeah, we got this Alpha Flight group that we're trying to put together, so we get, maybe someone will get in touch with you and get ready to That's amazing, because, you know, in, in interviews like this, people always ask, you, what are some of the things, properties, you've like, work teams, characters, Sure. the Alpha Flight so it's the top of the list. And it's also one of the ones that I'm like, yeah, I'm going go to do that. And I got to do it. Yeah. So I had this huge honor, it was a lot of fun. Set it in my home province, Prince Edward Island. Mm-hmm. Set it up in Cavendish where my Grandma used to live, where he used to work when I was a kid. So, yeah, it was, it was great. He's my favorite Alpha Flight character, he's just caught in marina. So, yeah, that was, uh, it was a huge opportunity for really this.
0: Yeah, and uh, I really uh, I appreciated that you also used Fat Cobra in the uh, flashback. Yeah,
1: yeah well, that's, that's, that was kind of part of my uh, 2019 stealth Ulysses Bloodstone push. <laughs> where I've been putting Ulysses Bloodstone in things uh-huh because uh, our adventures came out uh, a couple days ago uh-huh uh, I wrote a Bloodstone story in it mm-hmm. it would have been like December last year and then after I wrote that it became increasingly obsessed with Ulysses Bloodstone mm-hmm. so when I wrote Black Hat number one I put him in the back of it. I wrote Alpha Flight put him in that one in well. so it's like I was like well I never thought I'd get to write an flood book, or, or, you know, even one shot, but here I am. So maybe if I keep pushing this, I'll get to write a Bloodstone book, too.
0: So, uh, Marvel, I know you're looking for more the team Conan up with them just say it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was, uh, originally Bloodstone was contemporaneous to Conan, mm-hmm.
0: but
1: back in the day when the, like, Hyborian area was supposed to be the Marvel past. Nowadays, I think it's
0: diverged, but, uh, yeah, you know, it works, Yeah. works. Uh, you know, New York is like right around the time people start talking about what's going to happen. You know, what's going on in twenty twenty. You know, what what are some things that that you can look you're you're looking forward to, obviously that you can talk about.
1: <laughs> yeah. So black hat is continuing a pace it right. has been doing surprisingly well by everyone's accounts. So as far as I know, gonna so keep to going uh, for the for the near future. I mean, you know, an ongoing is only ongoing until it's canceled. But, yes, uh, of course. <laughs> as far as I know, that. Uh, that axe is still well away. So we'll keep, we keep going on that. We've got a lot of fun stuff going on there. We're going to wind up for have a big slam-bang finish the over art and issue 12. So that's been we'll taking through few for a while. we got got Verse going on right now. Mm-hmm. I wrote the first issue. Uh, issues two through four, we're going to see like, sort of anthology stuff different creators. I am second back for issue three. I'm doing the Penny Parker Spider SP slash slash DR issue. So that's a lot of fun. It's a which is a great character, and that X Fighters number five as well is a bombshell issue. So it's, real, it's a lot of fun to take that character on. It was uh, very challenging to try to kind of match that tone, but uh, I think we did a great job. So I'm looking forward to that. All
0: right. Are you here through uh, Sunday?
1: I am. You're. You're. Here's a uh, here leave Monday.
0: All right. Well, rest and hydrate. It's a long show. Oh, I know. <laughs>
1: I'll, uh, I'll try and practice enough self-care.
0: Yeah. yeah. All right, Jed. Thank you so much. Hey, no problem. Uh, so, Lonnie, you just pulled a, uh, a a reverse October on Twitter and uh, changed your Twitter handle from something not Halloween related to uh, just just your name. <laughs> <laughs>
2: oh shit! That's what, okay. That's where we're starting. <laughs>
0: yeah, that's how we're starting. <laughs>
3: We ask the hard questions
2: here. <laughs> this is like, it's so funny because I like, I never expected anyone to ask me about this, but it's something I put like a stupid amount of thought into. <laughs> um, yeah, I, it was like my, my Twitter name for years was lawn underscore monster. Like since I started Twitter like seven or eight years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just always felt like really juvenile and it felt like you know people like their first email addresses were always something stupid like that
0: oh sure yeah mm-hmm.
2: um, and it just felt like every time i looked at my twitter that's how i felt like it, it wasn't like very serious and then everyone started making these like halloween names over the last few years and it's exactly what you said where i just felt like i was that dude who was like halloween year round and i like I love Halloween, but I didn't want to be that fucking guy. So <laughs> I was like, I need to, uh, to make a change. And like, luckily my name was available for it. I was like, it's just going to be as basic as, as it could possibly be so that I don't have to, to like look like that, that Halloween 24-7, 365 guy.
0: Yeah, I, mean, you know, I was getting ready to, t- like, you know, I'm doing I'm doing my research, getting ready for this episode, I type L-O-N, I'm getting ready to type the underscore, the autofill suggestions come up, I'm like, hey, what is this?
2: <laughs> yeah, and that's happened, like, a couple people have messaged me, maybe. like, I tried to tag you, and I'm like, your name's different, what's up with that? And I'm like, I don't know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a different guy now than I was <laughs> eight years ago.
0: <laughs> I'm not a monster anymore.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
0: Um, so, uh, you did, uh, you did New York Comic Con a few weeks ago. How'd that go for you? How was, how was your New York Comic Con?
2: It was good. Um, I love that show. I, I tried to go, I've gone every year for the past four years and I, I did it once before that. Um, it's a great show cause it's so, so many creators go there that I get to like talk to, you know, see a lot of my friends and my publishers and editors, mm-hmm. um, and then I get to be in New York, which is – it's one of my favorite cities, so it's always nice to, to be there. And the, the film and TV side of stuff has taken over quite a bit. Sure. So, like, this time was, like – it was a bit much for me to to handle, like, the the crazy amount of sensory overload that comes with it. Um, but it was still a great time, and uh, I'll, I'll probably go back next year.
0: The um, I was there for one day. It, to, for me, like, the weirdest part – or like the most crowded part and, and this was just to me is like the, the Funko booth
2: that dude where it's like a mom scene <laughs> it's so crazy it's ridiculous they had that like uh it was a giant not even life-size it was like 10 times life-size Funko Pop of uh Dwight from The Office mm-hmm. and the the lineup of people that were waiting to take a photo with this thing was so absurd that I was like, you know, fine, if you want to collect these things, if, if that's your thing, that's cool. But like, why would you wait in line for like an hour to take that photo? Yeah, that's
0: what do they, they call there's like a jargon for those things? What, are they, what the hell do they call them? Activations or like experience, experience. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous
2: yeah <laughs> that's the point point. <laughs> and they were just like they were like blasting music and it was just it was just nuts and like that's what uh that's what those big cons have become i guess is just giant advertisements for for products to be sold like that
0: Oh, one hundred 100 i mean you know i mean you could argue even the comics themselves are, are, are a product to be sold but you know there's still the reason for the season
2: yeah at least i mean i will probably get in trouble for saying this but like at least there's some artistic value in in comics but like a Funko Pop you know uh, no slight to anyone who designs Funko Pops but uh, it's 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 only designed to make money you know like even the people making them I don't think they have any delusions about what they're doing or at least with comics I get to pretend that there's uh, some sort of artistic value in addition to whatever money it's making for the companies
0: Well, you know, no, there's there, there's definitely artistic value and there's artistic value. This is a great transition, by the way, except I ruined it by commenting on it. Um, <laughs> uh, in, in your uh, upcoming vault comic series, Black Stars Above, uh, drawn by Jenna Cha, which comes out November 13th, uh, what is what is your, your kind of elevator pitch
2: for the book? Um, okay, I'll give you the one that I, I sort of like lead with, which is mm-hmm. what I, I think I initially pitched it as was uh, The Revenant meets At the Mountains of Madness. Um, and I, I hate those comparative pitches, like this meets this, but it's, it's sort of easy, easier to get the point across. Um, so if that interests <laughs> you, the longer form of the pitch is, uh, it takes place in, uh, in Canada at the tail end of the 19th century uh, when the fur trade is dying. And it follows uh, a young woman who lives a very remote, isolated life uh, that she wants to escape. And when she's offered the opportunity to do so by taking a parcel through the woods, uh, she takes the opportunity and then finds that uh, there are things hiding in those woods. Awesome. Now, uh,
0: this is, uh, I think I saw you say online, this was your, this is your first, uh, you know, solo writing published comic you know, which is to say, you know, you're not working with, with, with your frequent collaborator, Zach Thompson, mm-hmm. um, you know, given that, does this kind of raise the anticipation for you? You know what I mean? Like you've been publishing comics, obviously, for three years, but, you know, this is this is the first time where it's, it's you know, I mean, obviously you have a a creative team, but, you know, writing on your own, does it sort of, does it give it a little bit of, of sort of like the newness back to it?
2: Yeah, totally. It's, um, I was just started talking about this the other day with, with Jenna about how uh, I haven't felt this sense of like anxiety of like with an upcoming release since the first book Zach and I did together, which was the Dregs. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's both like uh, it's both exciting and exhilarating, but also terrifying because I feel like there's no one else to blame it on. Right. <laughs> I can't be like, you know, Zach's the problem here. So it's just, uh, if it fails in any regard it's it's uh no one but myself to blame but um it's also like I said it's really exciting because I, I was writing comics by myself just not publishing them traditionally through uh your publishers before Zach and I started working together so getting back to that and, and getting back in tune with uh my own voice as a comic book writer um because I, I've been writing stuff on my own uh just not comics uh for the last few years as well but getting to know myself again and reacquaint myself with uh, my voice as a comic book writer has been um it's been rejuvenating and it sort of made me uh, realize rediscover my love for the medium
0: that's great um how do you feel like or or you know maybe maybe it does maybe it doesn't but you know how do you feel like your your writing style changes when you're not working with a partner
2: uh it brings out like the worst elements of, of me. Um but hopefully some people think those are are have value. But I think Zach and I work together well as a team because I have a tendency to do everything very slowly, um, both in terms of like the time it takes me to do it and in the actual like book itself, I like things to take a lot of time. And Zach is more of a like go, 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 like balls to the walls, um, uh, type of storyteller and you can see it in our personalities too. So I, I think um, that part of it has been been really interesting to see just like how I how I craft the story now and, and how it it represents me. Um, yeah, I don't remember your original question but it had something to do with that. <laughs> I do believe
0: that you answered it, sir. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, you know, but when you guys are working on individual projects, will you still like bounce ideas off each other and kind of still you know, use each other as a sounding board or a support?
2: Yeah, totally. It, it depends on the project. Like this one, uh not so much just because there were things, yes, that that, that I did it for with this book, but it, it was a really personal project for me, so I didn't uh and I wanted it to feel like my own. I didn't really want other people's input. Mm-hmm. Um but other projects, yes, I've asked Zach a lot. Uh, about stuff he's helped me with and and same with Zach's own books he uh, will come to me and be like hey this is what I'm doing and I'm like oh that's really cool what if you maybe threw this in there and then he's either like yeah that's great or back off this isn't your book (laughs) (laughs) uh, yeah we're like we see each other constantly we talk every day so it's like it's hard not to 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 talk about the things we're working on and to get excited about uh, our stuff and about each other's stuff and and just want to help the other person succeed um
0: how did you get hooked up with uh with your artist with jenna
2: um so i'd been looking for an artist for black stars above for like months and it was really difficult because i had a very specific vision for the book and a very specific style i was looking for um unfortunately not a lot of people draw in that style and the ones who do are uh, you know they're they're big big names who would not be working on a book with me um and so I went through like I don't know like so many artist profiles on DeviantArt and on Twitter and Instagram and wherever and it was just months of me and my editor putting like submitting people back and forth and always just me being like oh this person is not quite right this person's not quite right and then I was looking at uh, on Twitter one day I just um search the the hashtag visible women because it was like trending that day or whatever Um, and I looked through it for like a good five hours (laughs) and I saw this like I saw Jenna's tweet and um, I was like this this person looks like they they could be good but like they're probably like uh, some big name I didn't know about and then I looked and like she had like no followers or anything and I was like okay I'm going to send this to my editor and so I sent I sent Jenna's profile to my editor and literally like 10 seconds later, I got an email back. that was like, dude, this is really fucking weird because I was just typing you an email that was sending you Jenna's profile to be like, what do you think of this artist for the book? And wow. Yeah. Uh, and so like a, a week later, um, I guess uh, Adrian, my editor sent her the the pitch and she agreed to do it. And that's pretty much that's it. So luckily she was, she was available and and wanted to work on it.
0: That is awesome. Um, I, I'm, I'm curious, you know, when you were when you were figuring out the style of, of artist that you wanted to work with, like, was there a specific like work or, or, you know, not necessarily a particular artist, but you know, like if you were to describe to, to me, uh, you know, what you were looking for in an artist? You know, what, yeah. what would you say that was?
2: I, I think specifically I was looking for someone who had a more traditional style and someone that had a, a hatchy style. Mm-hmm. Um, I was looking at a lot of like Gustave Doré etchings and engravings. Um, it, like he's one of my favorite artists and I was looking at a lot of his stuff, specifically the stuff he did for um, for Dante's Inferno. And I wanted the book because it takes place in the 1800s. I wanted it to have this old art book quality to it. Um, so it was artists like that, coupled with artists like like Bernie Wrightson, um, like his work on Frankenstein and stuff like that, and then um, some some manga influence as well, like like Junji Ito, who's very good at that if that line style, um, and just a lot of people who draw comics, um, especially a lot of younger people who draw comics. Uh, are coming from more modern influences uh, more digital influences and that's totally fine uh, and I like that too it just wasn't what was right for this this book um, and so that's why it was so difficult to find someone who, who still drew in that very detailed um, crosshatchy style uh, that's awesome uh, you know how did
0: how did Jenna react when you reached out to her
2: uh, I mean, she's like so chill about everything. <laughs> she's kind of like, it's just kind of like, yeah, sure. I'll do it. Like, I, I really like the, she really liked the pitch. I think it resonated with her a lot. Um, cause I guess she'd been asked by like, by quite a few people to draw their books before. Um, and she just, she wasn't interested in, in the material that she was being presented. Um, and I, I think part of the reason why is, is Jenna, um, She's a writer also, and, and she can she can write uh, perfectly well by herself, and she has her own stories to tell. So I think if she was going to draw something for someone else, it had to be something that really resonated with her, um, and luckily this project did. That's great. We uh, we found out like very early on, like on the first conference call we had to talk about the book. It was just kind of like, oh, we have all the same influences. We want to tell all the same kind of horror stories. Like it it makes a lot of sense that this pitch would appeal to you, um, to her. So, um, yeah, it's been, it's been a great collaboration ever since. It's great. Um,
0: you know, you've also, the book has a lot of, of beautiful handwriting in it, uh, because, you know, people are writing letters or they're journaling, you know, within the first issue, um, you know, handwriting is something that does not always come across, you know, look good in comics, but you've got, uh, Hassan Otsman Elahal as your letterer who's, like, one of the modern greats when it comes to that. Um, You know, did you, uh, when you are putting
2: together your team, did you ask for him or did Vault have him, like, ready and waiting? Oh, no. I had, like, a specific team in mind. Like, after I got Jenna on board, Mm -hmm. it was, like, I knew, like, Jenna and I talked about colors and what we wanted, and both of us were, like, Brad is the guy to color this book. And we were talking about letters. It was, like, Hassan is the guy to letter this book. So they were, like, both are like first choices above anyone else um, that we sent in as requests. And uh, again, just fortune happened that uh, they both liked the pitch enough to, to agree to do it. Um, but yeah, you're right. Like specifically about uh, to answer your question about Hassan is he is so, he's such a, a, a talented letterer, but I think saying he's talented is almost a, uh, being reductive because He thinks about lettering in ways that other people don't, and he works really hard to make sure that it's part of the story. And that's his biggest asset, is that he understands the narrative and tries to make the lettering complement whatever the writer and artist have already put on the page. And I don't see that from very many letterers working today. Mm -hmm.
3: Um, So what made that end of the 19th century era the period where you wanted to set a horror story was it a time period you already had an interest in or did you have the you know supernatural kernel and then look for the era where it would work
2: um this is a tough one to answer because it sort of all happened simultaneously um i have a I guess I should start with, like, I do have an affection for period storytelling, um, and I am specifically interested in stories that take place uh, at the turn of the 19th century. Uh, but those stories are usually, like, in England or in, like, uh, uh, somewhere in America, because a lot of my writing background or a lot of my, my literary background is is influenced by um gothic literature and people like like poe and, and henry james and stuff like that so like you know all those stories set during that era um but with this one it, it was specifically born out of i was reading a book this is so boring and i'll try to say it quickly because like i know how dull it sounds <laughs> um i was reading a book by margaret atwood who was one of canada's like greatest uh, literary treasures mm-hmm. The book is called survival and it uh it's her writing nonfiction about what she believes connects all of Canadian literature, because people often say Canada doesn't have like a an artistic identity like other nations do. Um, and while I was reading that book, I, I got this image in my head of a young fur trapper uh, wandering through the woods, uh, carrying some sort of parcel. And there was just this like cosmic or mood to it that, that came along with that image. So that was like the seed of the idea for this. Um, now, it being set in the, the, like, the end of the 19th century is, like, the fur trade was, you know, a 250-year venture. So, like, finding what era in there, uh, what what period in that period I was going to be working in, that took a bit more time and research. Um, and I ended up choosing 1887 because, like, the fur trade at that point had been dead for, like, 20 years almost. It was, like, uh, not many people were still trapping the Hudson Bay Company, which was responsible for most of it, was moving on to retail. Um, so the reason I chose that is because the book deals a lot with this idea of liminality and spaces in between and uh, change occurring uh, on an individual level and on a family level and on a national level. Um, and so that year was a, a very specific marker for change uh, in the country. Um, and like it's the very it's like hanging on by like just a hair to the, to the past and, uh, slowly moving toward the future.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Uh, if also, you know, the perspective is also unique in that the central character is part, uh, you know, uh, uh, Metis or, or, you know, one of the, the Canadian, uh, you know, kind of first nations, uh, tribes, uh, also have French, but, you know, is that, you know, had you gone in looking for, for that to be, You know, sort of the 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 perspective or the or the POV character through which the story is told.
2: Um, It wasn't. I guess it wasn't a specific choice of like I need this story to be told through the lens of an indigenous character. Mm -hmm. Um, It it just sort of made sense in the the story as I was building it out with the themes that I was dealing with that it should be uh, a woman and that she should be Métis because uh, again the themes I'm dealing with of, of liminality and change and Uh, And also this idea of, you know, uh, if I'm working in the tradition of of Lovecraft and cosmic horror in general, like 99% of those stories are told from the perspective of like an affluent white male in America. And I just, um, to me, I didn't want to write another story from that perspective because I thought it would would feel too derivative. It would feel boring. I wouldn't really know what else new to say from that vantage point. Um, so it gave me a new lens to see it through. Sorry, go ahead.
3: No, and it's best to avoid all the almost inherent, and if not inherent, at least exceptionally uncomfortable racism that comes with Lovecraft.
2: Totally. And, and that was like, that was a very conscious effort on my part. It was like, if I'm going to do work in this tradition, I don't, I want to address the racism and I want to, I don't want to hide it. I don't want to just be like, Lovecraft's amazing. Uh, look at me, tell a derivative Lovecraft tale. I want to, to address uh, everything about the man, the things I love and the things I, I don't love. Um, and so that's what led to this, this uh, the choice of uh, the main character being indigenous. Um, and, and I guess I should, could, should clarify that, like, I don't mean to say this in the sense of like, I don't think I'm a, a spokesperson for their culture. I don't think I'm like, I don't want to seem like I'm speaking on behalf of someone else's culture. Um, it's just that's the perspective that this story demanded, and uh, hopefully I'm doing it justice, and hopefully I did enough research to uh, to, to earn the 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 uh, the right to, to tell a story uh, with with a character of that origin.
0: Uh, well, I mean, you know, one thing I did want to ask is, you know, how long, you know, you mentioned this kind of being a slow burn, you know, you spend a lot of time looking for your artists and everything. How long was kind of the the, the research phase of, of this
2: project? Uh, the original idea for this came uh, three, four years ago, um, and it, I was slowly, slowly building it out since then. Um, and then over the past year, year and a half, it was an intense period of research where I was reading um I was reading like journal entries from the time, like firsthand texts from people who were trappers at the time. I was reading encyclopedias and textbooks, and uh, I was interviewing uh, historians and Métis historians and stuff like that about the era. So it was uh, it was a lot of work uh, over a long period of time, but I think that's just the only way I know how to work by myself, and and it's the most uh, the most joy I get from the writing process is in the research phase of it so it's no surprise that I spend the longest doing that
0: (laughs) that, that's great not everybody has the patience for that
2: no I think it was like it was bred into me as uh, my family was like very scholarly and very like you do like study 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 so it's it's just something that I grew up with um and you know I like I'm a a, I went to to university and stuff so like for, for philosophy and English literature so like that's just what my life was for too long of a period that i can't let go of it it's just
3: it's in my blood now Uh, not giving away too much about the first issue but towards the latter middle of the book a blizzard starts and one thing that jumped out at me was the snowflakes of the blizzard don't just appear in the panels but they're also popping up in the gutters and it makes that snow feel like it's consuming the entire world and i thought it was a a phenomenal touch was that you or jenna or combination
2: thank you Uh, i'm glad you noticed it because i'm worried sometimes when I, i put stuff like that in my books that like readers won't get it um but it seems like you did (laughs) so I'm I'm thankful (laughs) to hear that um that was uh that was something that was scripted um it was scripted a bit differently in that uh I wanted the gutters to be bigger and for you to see uh like snow flowing through the gutters like piling up on top of the gutters uh and on top of the panels and then um Jenna, when she was she when she was um, doing the pencils for it, she was like, "That's I can't do that because it's going to interrupt the image." But what if we just do it this way instead? So it was sort of like a a combined effort where I had this original idea that I wanted to communicate, like the snow overflowing and the it spilling out of the pages, um, and then she just found a better way to communicate that than what I initially had incepted.
3: I love the use of the gutters in comics because I think some people tend to not realize just how integral they are to the process and Mm. how using them can have a real impact on the look of a page.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's something I'm, like, obsessive about. Like, when I... Generally, when I script, I'll, like, I will know the layout for the page. Like, I spend a long time thinking about the layout of the page before I'll I'll write it down and I'll go through different iterations of it before I ever pass it off to an artist. And, you know, oftentimes they'll, they'll change what's there, but oftentimes they won't. And I think, um, you're right. It's important to think about the form. It's important to think about the medium and how it can be best used to tell the story and communicate the ideas, um, that you're trying to communicate. Uh, and the gutters are a tool that's unique to comics. Like no, nothing else has that, um, but people don't, I think, always see it as, as a tool. I think people just sort of see it as like a, yeah, 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 like, you know, next panel, whatever.
3: <laughs> you need to read your Scott McCloud. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
2: I'll die by I'll die by understanding comics. That's like, it's the Bible. <laughs>
0: mm-hmm.
2: uh, so
0: you've, you've published a lot of your, prior to this, you've published a lot of, of your indie work uh, through Black Mask and Aftershock. Uh, how did the, how did this uh, book How did Black Stars Above
2: end up at Vault? Um, I think it was just I, I met the Vault guys at Emerald City Comic Con uh, when they were like just starting. I think it was their first year, mm-hmm. um, and they already had titles that impressed me. And they were just Adrian, my my editor, was just and, and Damien, um, uh, his brother, who who also works at the company. They run it together. They were just the nicest guys, and not only were they nice. They, they love comics, and they seemed to be interested in telling the same kind of stories that I was interested in telling. And they were only doing science fiction and fantasy at the time, so I wasn't even sure they'd be interested in in like seeing a pitch for something outside of that realm. Um, but I was talking to Tim Daniel, who's their, uh, their designer, because I know him from way back, uh, from... Way back in the day, uh, I was doing comic book journalism and and I uh, reviewed a couple of his books. Um, And anyway, he he told me that uh, he gave me some insider information that Vault was looking for some horror titles. Um, And I said, great, I have one. And I just sent it to, to Tim and he liked it. And so he sent it off to Adrian. And after some back and forth where I think they were like confused about what I wanted to do because it's so strange and slow that like they needed like to to really understand it so i went through um i did a lot of uh different versions not versions i extended the pitch several times for them um and and after adrian got it he was just kind of like oh i now understand what you're trying to do yes i want to do that (laughs) that's awesome Mm
0: -hmm. uh yeah that's right that uh this book is part of their uh nightfall like their horror imprint yes now uh the Vault vintage uh variant cover that's coming with the uh the the first
2: issue the frank miller homage
0: uh is that is that something that you got any uh say
2: in um yes and no it's that that was a a strange one because i was um i gave them like several covers that i wanted for the vintage cover uh, because i knew they were going to do one and the, the one that I really wanted was a, a Brian Boland Animal Man cover because I just felt like it, it really represented the, the book uh, best. Um, and they agreed to do that initially. And then uh, we have like a, um, what's it called? A Slack conversation thread with all of us. Sure. And I think I, I posted some images from uh, Whiteout in there. And I think when they saw that, they were kind of just like, why aren't we doing this? <laughs> book the vintage variant, uh, and so that's what they ended up going with, and and thankfully that's also um, a book that that influenced this one in terms of uh, the way like the the snow uh, looks and, and the way it, it sort of consumes the world, um, so I, I was happy to see that, and and obviously you know like who who in comics doesn't like Frank Miller, uh, so it, it was uh, it was cool to see. Um,
0: now. When, when the series got announced uh, it somehow managed to drop the same day or, or maybe the same week as news about Grant Morrison and Zermonico's Black Stars miniseries over at DC oh my
3: god
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it did that was a, a crushing moment when, I think actually it was Zach that sent me the article he was just like dude I'm gonna break your heart right now but um <laughs> fucking sorry, grant morrison is releasing a book on the same day as you that has the same title and it was just like fuck you like no he's (laughs) not um so yeah i saw that and it was just just kind of one of those things that's like so bad that you have to laugh at um and uh i freaked out and went to to my publisher and i was like we gotta change the release date this is you know it's gonna ruin everything and they were just like chill out like it's fine nobody's gonna care Uh, And we ended up did changing the release date, but for different reasons. Um, And then I I actually reached out to to Liam Sharp and was just like, dude, like, this is weird. We have a book coming out the same day. And he was just like, he was super nice about it. He was just like, oh, cool. Like, I'll check out your book. Like, don't worry about it. So it's all, uh, my fears have been assuaged so far. And like, I don't know, to think that people who are reading Grant Morrison's Green Lantern are the same people who are going to be reading my book is like was a stupid thought anyway like it's not the same audience so <laughs> it's like it doesn't really matter ultimately it was just sort of like in that moment i was like doom and gloom nothing was going to be okay for the rest of my life <laughs> i
0: mean i have to imagine you know obviously zach reached out to you and and you know is going to bust your balls but i also have to imagine like there were quite a few people on comics twitter who just turned into fucking donnie from the big lebowski like yeah that's your title dude yeah
2: <laughs> Yeah, I yeah,
3: that happened. <laughs> I, I'm the walrus. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> <laughs>
0: oh man. But uh, uh, moving on, uh, you know, you got uh, earlier this year and 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 last year, uh, you got to play in the X Men sandbox during the the, the pre Hickman Age of X Men era, which brought in. <laughs>
2: Sorry, I love this, like, we're, we talk about the Hickman era as if it's, like, Christ, like, before Christ, <laughs> after Christ, before Hickman. And,
3: and oh, yes. Hick and I, yes. Well, plenty of resurrections. <laughs>
2: yeah. That
0: is true. But, uh, you know, it, it, the, the the Age of X-Men era, I, you know, I've written about this online, it brought in so many new voices playing with a lot of, of go-for-broke concepts, you know, uh, but, you know, not only that, you and Zach, you know, you got to mastermind an event, you um, can you talk a little bit about how you ended up with that opportunity?
2: Yeah, sure. It was uh, another just sort of weird thing that I, we didn't expect. Um, uh, this goes back a bit. So uh, just, like, interrupt me if it's, like, not interesting. <laughs> but when we first were asked to pitch concepts to Marvel, one of the books that Zach and I pitched was a revival of the X-Men title. Um that had ended in the nineties when Warren Ellis was writing it. Um, I don't, actually don't, I think he left for the last like few issues, but anyway, it was, um, it was
3: Stephen Grant because yeah. Ellis and he co-wrote and then Grant alone did the final. I literally just wrote about this last week. So.
2: Oh, awesome. Uh, and like I, so I grew up reading that stuff and I, I love Warren Ellis's run on that book. Um, and so the thing we pitched was a, a revival of X-Man. He was sort of, like, not really in the books at all at that point. This was, like, three or two and a half years ago, three years ago. Um, and when we pitched it, they were like, nah. Like, nobody wants to read a book about Nate Gray in this economy. Like, just, it'll never, ever happen. And we were like, okay, great. <laughs> and then... Uh, When we were, Zach and I were offered the cable gig and we put X-Men in one of the issues um, and all these websites wrote about like the return of (laughs) X-Men for some reason, even though it was like taking place in the past. They were like, X-Men is back. And it was on like CBR and comicbook.com and and Newsarama and stuff. And I guess um, that combined with... uh, Matt Rosenberg and Ed Brisson and Kelly Thompson were were plotting out Uncanny, their run on Uncanny at the time, in which Nate's a big part of. So I guess all of this somehow led to, up to Age of X-Men was a thing that they knew was going to happen. Um, they knew they needed someone to write it who liked X-Men. And <laughs> there aren't that many, apparently. <laughs> so uh, our editor... We heard from Matt Rosenberg. He he sent us a message, and he was just like, "Hey, just letting you guys know, there's an event coming out at the start of the year, and uh, I put your names forward. So like, you guys uh, just like start coming up with concepts for uh, tie-ins that will be, uh, you know, related to like alt universe type stuff. So we thought we were uh, when we got the like email from from Jordan White, our editor, it was like, uh hey you guys want to get on a call and we we're like yeah and we we were like oh they're gonna offer us like a one shot or like a a mini series tie-in and then like as soon as we got on the call he was like so we have this thing called age of x-man we have no idea what it is but we want you to write it and we were like <laughs> okay and he was like yeah and we want you to plan the entire event and we were like okay like yes we'll do it um and so it was months and months of planning uh Zach and I, Zach and myself and Jordan and uh, Darren Chan, another editor there. Mm -hmm. Um, And then slowly other people started to come into the, to the, onto the project um, to take on the books that Zach and I had come up with. um, And it just sort of went from there. And it was uh, a tiring experience, uh, an exciting experience, um, one I'm glad I had, uh, but to do one so early in my career was, uh, was daunting.
0: Now, this is actually the second time I've heard someone tell a story about pitching uh, an X-Men book and and being told that nobody would be interested in X-Men in you know the year of our Lord twenty eighteen. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious if if you know was 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 Jordan White coming into the X office that's the, suddenly the thing that pulled the pin on the Nate Gray grenade. <laughs> <laughs>
2: No, it was actually all of this was in uh, set in motion before Jordan came into the X office. It was when uh, Mark Panisha was still editing, um, because Kelly and, and Matt and and Ed, uh, they'd been working on this uncanny idea for like quite a while, mm-hmm. um, and so it it just it just so happened. I think it was strategic on their part that like uh, Jordan came in. When this sort of new wave of Uncanny X Men was starting, so um, he could have like a fresh spark to be fresh spot to begin in the X Men universe. Okay. Um, yeah. Uh,
0: speaking of of your Marvel work, uh, you and Zach have a Yandu series coming out uh, next month. Uh, what uh, what can you tell us about it?
2: um yeah yondu is uh like this was a book we never thought we would write um and it was just something uh darren our our editor brought to us was like hey do you guys want to write yondu and we're kind of like i guess like (laughs) not really um (laughs) but then like as soon like as soon as we started coming up with ideas for it um it was like Holy shit! This character is awesome. There's so much potential with him uh, because he hasn't really been defined too much um, outside of the movies. There was uh, a series uh, uh, with Star Lord that he was in a few issues of, Um, but he's such a blank slate in in the comics universe. Um, And it was just this sort of the voice of Yondu in that you know the space pirate hick like character that Michael Rooker made him, Mm -hmm. and trying to translate that into comics, but also make it um, unique to comics and not just a derivative of the movies. There was so much in that voice and in that character that spoke to Zach and I that we didn't think was there. Um, but typically the stuff Zach and I have done is more serious uh, and like really like heady and tends to be like slow and philosophical. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was like a way for us to explore other sides of our influences that we didn't realize we were missing. Um, and that we 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 were so uh in love with that we it was so easy for us to become invested in the character very early on um especially once we realized you know we want to make this sort of like a dirty gritty dark comedy uh western in space everything just sort of came into place and now this is like probably my favorite character that we've written at Marvel um you know it's like all the X-Men characters they are people I've loved since since I was like a little boy mm-hmm. and Yondu this character who's like new ends up being the one that, that I think is like the one I'm, I'm most proud of having written and the one that I feel like most attached to for some reason.
0: Wow. That, that, that is, that's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. Um, you know, it kind of, I, I was going to, I was going to have a follow up question to this and, and I feel like I already know the answer, but you know, uh, one thing I was kind of wondering is, is, is Yandu a sympathetic character uh, in your eyes? And you know, the reason I asked that is, I mean, obviously I'm coming to the character from the movies and, you know, Guardians of the Galaxy 2 has always struck me a little weird. Uh, You know, because I remember watching the scene where Yondu dies and I I turned to my wife and my son and we're in the theater. They're both crying. And I'm thinking to myself, 45 minutes ago, that dude killed like 100 people. (laughs) It had a catchy soundtrack, but it still happened. (laughs) <laughs> and in the first movie he kept threatening cannibalism to it to, to, to quill so yeah. you know I, I you know without giving things away uh you know what what can you tell us about about you
2: know your your kind of
0: <laughs> beat
2: on the character yeah i mean i think you're right in that like yondu is kind of a real piece of shit and it was it was it was a goal for us, but also a lot of work to figure out how to make that character someone people would want to follow for, uh, uh for five issues. And the book, um, I don't want to give too much away, but I think, uh, there's a point in the, the series where you find out his origin story. Um, and it tells you why he is the way he is. And, uh, we've tried to make that a very human moment and i think it's something that's going to catch a lot of people by surprise um and it, it just yeah it explains who he is and you sort of understand why he's this bastard and why he feels like he has a right to to behave this way um the other side of it is you know yondu is just a he's a funny dude and getting to write that hick dialogue is he's charming in the greasiest possible way <laughs> <laughs> it's like you know everyone knows those guys who are like you should hate them because they're like they're just gross and they don't have anything going for them and they're not particularly handsome and yet they have this charisma that they've been born with that they they just are able to wield it in ways um that gives them their their, their benefits and that gives them their edge um and getting to write that was really interesting uh, on top of coming up with, uh, you know, the heart of the character that comes into it later.
3: Awesome. I'm curious, and this might be something I saw in solicitation somewhere, or it might be something that my brain is just cross-connecting because I'm curious. Is there anything you're doing or anywhere that I miss that deals with the connection between this Yandu and the original Guardians of the Galaxy Yondu?
2: Yes. Um, I don't know how much I should say. <laughs> no,
3: I, I wasn't expecting spoilers. I just was kind of in my own head trying to remember if your book was where I saw that connection, that they were someone was finally going to kind of deal with that connection.
2: Yes. Uh, it's been solicited, so like it's not really a secret that it, both Yandus are in the book. Um, and... Uh, a big part of the book is exploring the connection between the two of them. Okay. Um, I, I think a lot of people were worried that like having this sort of pirate movie universe version of Yondu uh, was erasing the old version of Yondu. And I will just say that that is not the case. And I think people will be happy with uh, the way things are going to play out. Awesome.
0: Uh, you and Zach, uh, recently teased another indie book coming out next year that I imagine it's, it's too early to talk about, but, uh, you did say on Twitter that you're working with Sammy Cavella and Jason Wardy on it. Uh, and I just want to throw out there, uh, that, that's, I'm already sold because they were gangbusters together on, uh, Abbott last year, uh, Saladin Ahmed's book. So, uh, w- w- whatever it may be, <laughs> uh, I'm, 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 looking forward to it. Do you, do you have an idea of like when announced time? might
2: be uh yes first of all i'll say that yeah working with sammy and jason has been uh a, a dream um like the like you said their work on Abbott together was incredible and we're so glad to to be able to work with them uh on this book uh the book itself is zach and i are done writing it um mm-hmm. the whole thing so it's it's all like we've been working on this for a while sammy is light a ways into it as well um so you can expect an announcement uh within the next month or two and then uh you can expect it to to be on shelves uh early 2020 okay and i don't know what else i can say really (laughs) i mean i probably shouldn't say this but i don't really care uh it's it's a western and i've wanted to write a western for a long, long time. And I think this one speaks to both uh, Zach and I uh, very well. I think it's the best thing we've done together. And um, if if anyone listening or if you guys liked The Dregs, this is like very much a spiritual sequel to The Dregs.
3: Interesting. Um, so, you know, we're, we're in October horror you know, is surrounding us everywhere. Um, And I was kind of curious, you have written a lot of things that qualify as body horror. I'm coming to me. The series you did through black mask was very much a body horror book. Uh, The apocalypse backups from the X-Men in black month were this devolution horror. And I loved that your run on cable, which I thought was, Great book. Um, played with Cable as that body horror character, since the To virus is really a body horror thing, and seeing what it could do to someone who doesn't have Cable's, you know, self-defensive TK. Mm. It, body horror is a tricky genre because it can really quickly turn into human centipede <laughs> if <it's> not handled <laughs> right. Um, <laughs> What appeals to you about body horror as a (laughs) subgenre?
0: But before you answer Lonnie, Matt, how dare you speak ill of the human sense?
2: Yeah, I I think you're right. I think uh, body horror is something that often gets a bad reputation because there are so many movies that qualify as body horror that are really not, they're really just gore or schlock or, like, disgusting things for the sake of it that tend, that just happen to fall under the banner of body horror uh, because of what they're showing. To me, body horror, um, the, the amount... Uh, this is a terrible way to say this, but I don't know how to say it. The body of work that actually is body horror is actually quite small, in my opinion. Um, you have filmmakers like David Cronenberg... Um, and you have uh, comic book writers like Genji Ito, and uh, there's a small group of people who actually play with body horror well. And to me, it's this idea of using the body to explore uh, what it means to be human, and and to explore uh, just how fragile our bodies truly are. And these are the things that are supposed to carry us through life. Uh, it's not about just showing gross out stuff. It's it's, it's about like the the you know, the philosophical implications of, of existing in a physical form. Um, and so that's what appeals to me about it is, is it's the most um, the most existential of the horror genres and it, it's, uh, it gets at the core of, of humanity when it's done properly, I think. Uh, and it also allows us to, it mixes very well with science fiction like Cronenberg did so much of. Uh, because it allows us the body is something everyone understands because everyone has one. And so when you start to manipulate that to show what the future might look like, you can feel it. It's, it's palpable because it's, it's easy to imagine.
0: Um, Speaking of coming to me, is there any chance you have any insight on when we can get our hands on the trade?
2: (sighs) I've been waiting for this information for like the last year. Um, I am told that it should be out in the next few months. Okay. And I really hope, I, I've seen, I've been sent a photo of the printed version of the trade. So uh, it does exist. Uh, I believe it's being, I'm, I'm told it's being shipped. Uh, it's been printed and it's being shipped. And then it will be distributed uh, as soon as it gets uh, here from overseas from the, the printer. Okay okay, okay. Right. Uh, yeah, that was a long wait for that one and um, I wish it wasn't but I'm I'm happy it, it seems to finally be uh, it's going to be made available.
0: Uh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that I, I was worried about black mask for a second there. Um,
2: what are you reading right now? Um, right in front of me. <laughs> I have two books that I'm currently reading. Um I neither of them are new. Uh so uh I'm reading the uh, I'm reading Ghost in the Shell because I've never read, I've never read it before. Um and it's awesome and it's blowing my mind. If you haven't read it, uh Shiro is just a genius, uh a comic book genius and really strange storytelling and it takes a while to sort of get the story going, but once it gets going it's it's incredible that he was talking about the things he is um when he was writing this in the, the 90s um and then the other book I'm <clears throat> currently rereading which I haven't read for like a decade is uh from hell uh Alan Moore and yeah. Eddie Campbell and it's uh it's weird because like when I read it a decade ago I was like this is one of my top five favorite comics of all time and I've always maintained that and then re- rereading it now like every page I'm like oh i don't think i understood this the first time i read it um not in terms of its content just in terms of like the the comic book language alan moore is using is so advanced that i just didn't have the ability to understand it 10 years ago um but it's like it's just blowing my dick off right now it's amazing (laughs) um
0: are you are you reading the original like black and white or i think they 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 just did, like, a colorized version not too long ago.
2: Yeah, I think the colorized one is still coming out. Um, Eddie Campbell colored it himself. uh, But I'm reading the original Black and White uh, tome that it is. Uh, And then on top of that, I was recently... I'm reading... uh, I'm catching up on Immortal Hulk. And it's great. And i recently read uh providence by alan moore sort of recently um uh, i trying to think of what else i was reading oh i'm reading coffin have you guys read that one
0: uh no. I, I haven't but uh we did uh one of the guys who writes reviews for our site read the first at least the first issue and yeah i've heard nothing but good things about it
2: yeah coffin is awesome uh i've been a, a fan of dan dan water's work for a while and uh I think this is the best thing he's done. It's, it's really great stuff.
3: His his current run on Lucifer is a really interesting take and very different from uh, the kind of stuff that uh, Mike Carey did before him, which I was kind of glad to see because it would have been easy to try to ape what Carrie was doing and instead it's a very different book.
2: Yeah, totally. And, and I think Dan is someone who uh, he wants he loves comics and he wants to write original comics, not that are um, and, and is inspired by people like Mike Carey and Neil Gaiman, but in a way that doesn't feel derivative in a way that what he's taking from them is this idea of originality. And, and you feel that in everything he's done. Um, he's like, he's one of the, the good ones. He's, he's fighting the good fight. That's great. Um,
0: any other, uh, you know, since it's, it's October and, and, and damn near Halloween, any uh, personal horror recommendations, uh, you know, regardless of medium?
2: Um, yes. Uh, <laughs> Jenna and I just bought a PlayStation because we didn't have one before um and we've been playing through bloodborne and it is amazing and like i played it a little bit at friends houses here and there Mm -hmm. but it is so fucking good and the lore in the world it just i like i eat it up and like every time i play it i'm just like i need to talk to someone about this because like (laughs) look at the way they're telling the story um So if you haven't played that, I think it's like 20 bucks on the PlayStation store. It's on PlayStation now. Uh, it's, it's amazing. It's one of the best horror, anything I've ever experienced. Um, I just saw the lighthouse, which is Robert Eggers new movie. Um, and it is, it's nothing like the witch, but it is just as good. And it still feels like a film by Robert Eggers. Uh, and I, yeah, I will go see it again as soon as possible. Um, and then, um, yeah, that's that's pretty much it. I'm, Bloodborne has been taking over most of my my like free entertainment time as of late. That and uh, and From Hell. Um, and I saw. I mean, if you haven't seen Midsummer, I saw it a few times in theaters, and it's I, I loved it. Um, so yeah, those are my my recommendations for stuff I've seen recently, at least.
0: Matt, you gave a rather uh, satisfied sound of uh, acknowledgement on uh, the Eggers film. Did you get
3: to see it yet? Yeah, not yet. It's opening at the movie theater near my house on Friday, and it is, in all likelihood, my movie of the week that I will go and see. I'm very excited to give it a shot.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's like nothing I've ever seen before. It's It's really special.
0: Uh, Well, uh, Lonnie, as we are uh, wrapping up, how can people follow you online if you in fact wish to be followed?
2: Uh, You can now follow me at Lonnie Nather on Twitter, (laughs) no longer at Lon underscore monster. And uh, you can find me on Instagram at the same thing. And you can find my website, the same thing. And I have a newsletter if you want to subscribe to it uh, where I talk about my books and the process and uh, give recommendations for stuff. Uh, in that I write about in uh, too much detail. So if you like that kind of thing, uh, you can subscribe, and otherwise I'm on Twitter way too much.
0: <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lonnie, thanks for, uh, thanks for giving us an hour of your time. Yeah,
2: thanks for having me. This was great.
0: That's it for this week's show. As always, you can listen to wmq on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at wmqcomics.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A and WMQComics.com at Patreon.com/WMQComics. For just a dollar donation, gets you early access to episodes, the ability to promote your work on our site, and a customized bonus reading column written by our own Matt Lazo. built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. Big thanks to our patrons: uh, Steve Morris from Shelf Dust and the M Charlie Davis from The Young Ones Podcast, Robert Secundus from Hoxpox Talks, and Scott Madrinsky from Mojo'sWork.com. You can follow WMQ Comics on Twitter and Facebook, and you can follow me on Twitter at Daniel P. Grote and Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013. Not a fan of social media? Sign up for our weekly Q newsletter, which gives you the best of WMQ every week in your inbox. Finally, and most importantly, check out WMQComics.com for all your comics news, previews, reviews, interviews, and plain old views, and we'll see you next time.
2: WMQA!